The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. The Jews murmured about Jesus because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? Do we not know his father and mother? Then how can he say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Stop murmuring among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draw him, and I will raise him on the last day. It is written in the prophets, They shall all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to my Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the desert, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Week three of our series on the reflections on John chapter six and the bread of life discourse. And today, the people who have been following after our Lord realize that he's starting to sound a little crazy. I mean, the man says he came down from heaven, but we know he's born in Bethlehem. He lives in, in, in Nazareth. We know his family. What does he mean he came down from heaven? And they begin to allow these words to harden their hearts to the Lord with this understanding of clearly he's missing something they begin to distance themselves little by little so that what the Lord will give in the coming weeks what for them was just a few moments later would be easily rejected that they would be able to simply walk away thinking that this man is kind of out of his mind he doesn't really get it So they dismiss themselves and walk away from he who is the bread from heaven, the one who gives us eternal life. The readings for us during this time, the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel, are among arguably the most important in the entire scriptures. Because while the scriptures encourage us in so many ways, John chapter 6 does in a very clear and practical manner tell us how to get to heaven. We know that in so many ways we have to love God and we have to love neighbor. And the rest of the scriptures breaks that open. But what we understand today in, in, in the weeks before and the weeks after today by this reflection on the sixth chapter of John is we recognize that to have eternal life isn't just to believe in our mind. It isn't just to do good things and to be good people. Indeed, anybody can be a good person and not believe in Jesus one drop. So what makes us different? What is it that gains us eternal life? And the answer the Lord Jesus gives us is the Eucharist. This is the thing that makes everything different. Indeed, recognizing that from our first reading, Elijah the prophet going forth into the desert, 
what ultimately would become the encounter with the face of God, the passage after the one we hear today where he eats the hearth cakes, the, 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 the cakes, and the, uh, the bread and the water at his head. He has that long 40-day journey, and it's only after that journey that he arrives at the mountain of God, Horeb, and that's where he hears that still, small voice, where he encounters the Lord face to face. And so it was only because he received from the bread that he was able to behold the face of God. And the church wisely puts that reading for us this weekend. It's only if we eat the bread of life, the Holy Eucharist, that we'll be able to behold the face of God. Indeed, the Eucharist is Christ. It is the face of God. So we have this gift that we are encouraged, indeed required, to come and to honor and to receive. On some Sundays after Mass, we'll get the, I'll get the regular attaboys, the good homily, Father, and occasionally great homily, Father. Or maybe you were speaking to me today, Father, and that's fine and good, and I appreciate those. God be praised for them. But that's not what I'm looking for at the end of the homily today or at the end of this Mass. What I'm looking for and what I desire is one simple thing. So my intention for this homily is simple and it's clear. Therefore, I'm going to tell you to make sure it's abundantly clear. My desire is that all of you in a perfect world would be able to recognize and become, if you're not already, intentional about spending time every week in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. Period. That's the goal, to spend time in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. Now, I could go and we could preach for days and days and days on the power of the Eucharist. And indeed, we've got many saints who have done it. But I would begin not with some lofty theological discourse, but by a simple example of a child. Because children have an ability to speak in ways that oftentimes adults don't. They have no guile. They're not two-faced. They've not got usually ulterior motives. What you see is what you get. What you hear is what they think, even if all the adults think it's the wrong thing to think at the time. And the simple reality is they're very transparent. There was a little boy named Peter. He was five years old. But even at five years old, he knew that there was something special about the Eucharist. He loved the Eucharist. At five years old, he loved to go to Mass and to pray, to see Jesus. And one day, it happened that he was going and he went to the church by himself to go pray. Now, he knew he couldn't receive communion because he wasn't the proper age yet, even though I think he probably should have been able to. But his understanding of what exactly the host is, rather who it is. But he went to go pray. And his sister, knowing where he went followed behind him a little while later. And rather than finding him sitting in a pew or kneeling before a statue or kneeling before the tabernacle, even at the altar rail, she found him in the sanctuary, standing on a step stool with his ear pressed to the tabernacle. And she said, Peter, what are you doing? Get, get out of the sanctuary. Get, get, what, are you, what are you doing? Just in shock. It's not something you do. And he just simply looked at her and he said, so I can hear him better. So I can hear it better. What Peter understood is that the Eucharist is Christ. And if we listen, 
He speaks. And if we draw very close to him, we can hear him even better. And this is the piece that we need to be mindful of. Peter ultimately would be ordained a priest. He was one who founded a religious community whose entire purpose was to be able to reach out to people who had fallen away from the practice of the faith for one reason, to be able to draw them back to Christ and the Eucharist. His whole apostolate, his whole entire work, the entire life of their community was centered around Jesus and the Eucharist. He was known as the Apostle of the Eucharist. And today he's a saint of the church. We celebrated him just a couple of weeks ago. St. Peter Julian Aymard, a wonderful French saint of the 1800s. But St. Peter Julian shows us one thing, but it's not just one saint who tells us this. We can look through the lives of many holy people and recognize in them the power of the Eucharist. Certainly we know that Mother Teresa is, a, is someone that is able to walk into a room of thousands and bring them to a hushed silence just by her presence. She didn't have to have an announcement beforehand of Mother Teresa is coming into the room. Everyone, please be quiet. She walked in and was like, shh, quiet. You could hear a pin drop. In her presence, people were converted, brought to tears and repentance. Much the same with John Paul II. How thousands upon thousands upon thousands followed after him. Long to hear his word, to experience his embrace, to see his smile, just to attend a mass where there's a hundred thousand others. But it seemed like it was just you. There was this dynamic power about him that enabled him to touch hearts in a dramatic way. So too, we can think of other contemporary individuals. Archbishop Fulton Sheen is one of my favorites that comes to mind. He recounts many stories of how he would sit down on a train and by the time he got up, the person next to him had converted to the faith and was ready to be baptized. Or he sat down on a plane one day and at the end of the flight, when he arrived at the other, at the other end of the other airport, the person next to him was ready to join the convent. They had discerned clearly the will of God, just like that. Countless stories he has of this. So too, we can think about St. John Vianney, whose feast we celebrated just last Saturday. St. John, who, because of his holiness of life, drew countless people, thousands upon thousands, to a little town in the middle of nowhere in the middle of France. They literally had to reroute the train system in France because too many people were going to this place that nobody knew about before. They had to make a path to get there. So heavy was the traffic flow. And all four of those individuals have one thing in common. Every single day, they spent an hour in the presence of the Eucharist. In prayer. Every single day, without fail, they went to the church, they went to a chapel. Archbishop Sheen says sometimes you have to sit on the front steps because they won't let you in, sometimes you have to climb out a window because they lock you in. Every day, one hour, they spent in the presence of the Lord. And it was that that gave power to everything else they did. Mother Teresa put it most succinctly. She said, I know that I would not be able to work one week if it were not the continual force coming from Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament. She who labored for decades, tirelessly, pointed out that I wouldn't be able to go a week without him. In fact, so important was the Eucharist to Mother Teresa that all of her sisters at the beginning of the day, they do a holy hour, every one of them. 
That's the, the normal start of their apostolate, their work. And one day, one of the sisters, as mother was visiting that particular convent, asked her, she said, Mother, wouldn't it be better for us to just spend 30 minutes in prayer before the Eucharist? Then we would have more time to serve the poor. And she said, My dear, if you think it would be better to do that, you better start doing two holy hours. Because she clearly didn't understand whose presence was there. What Mother Teresa knew is that I know Christ in the poor because I know Christ in the Eucharist. And if I don't know Christ in the Eucharist, I will never see him in the poor. We must know Christ. We must. If we desire eternal life, we must know him. And the only way we can know him, the only way we can know anyone is to spend time with them. You can't become best friends with someone you never speak with. In his presence, you never just simply sit and enjoy good times together. Now it's the same with Christ. He bids us come and to rest with him. To sit in his presence and to do any number of things. But most importantly, to be present to him and allow him to be present to you. And so... My simple invitation, my purpose of this entire homily, and if it doesn't happen, my words are useless and I just wasted your time and mine both, is that we will come and spend time in the presence of the Eucharist. It will change everything. And yes, I admit, sometimes that's scary. But it's the greatest of joys as well. To be able to come and rest in the presence of the Lord... There's any number of things, again, that we can do. We can pray our rosary or our chaplets, as we love to do as Catholics. Kind of a nice, easy introduction to prayer. You don't have to rely too much upon yourself and your own wisdom and thoughts. So we can pray our chaplets and rosaries. I would encourage especially to be able to bring along a Bible and to pray with it. That as we sit in the presence of the Lord, to know that he speaks to us too. To read the Gospels. And to imagine ourselves sitting among the crowds who were there in that particular day, listening, watching all the things that Christ did and said. It can be a blessing for us even just to come and just to sit. Not to really do anything. St. John Vianney had an individual at his church who oftentimes at the end of the workday he would come and he would put his farming instruments, whatever, whatever tools he had for the day, he would lean them up against the church door outside the front and he would go inside and he would sit down. And Father John, St. John, recognized this and he simply asked him one day at the end of his time as he was leaving the chapel and leaving the church, he said, Sir, I'm just curious, I, I see you coming to... You know, to, to make these visits regularly, what is it that you're doing? And the man simply responded. He said, well, Father, I look at him and he looks at me. And if that's not the definition of prayer, I don't know what is. To look at Christ and allow Christ to look at us. It's the most important of things. To know and to be known by Christ. And so I would invite every single one of you is to be able to spend 30 minutes in the presence of the Eucharist each week. Now, I know that sounds like a huge ask in our world today, 
Everybody's busy, everybody's schedules are hard to do it, and certainly I understand, and I don't, I don't intend to make light of your schedules or anything otherwise. But in the, way, in the way that we can have a thousand reasons why not to do it, I will give you one, and the only one that really matters why you should. And the answer is this. The Eucharist is Jesus. It's Him. If that doesn't convince you that it's a good enough reason... That's all I've got. (laughs) Christ is here with us. His love for us is more than we can ever imagine in this world. In fact, the Lord prevents us from understanding it. Because, as St. John Vianney himself would say, if we understood the love of God in this life, we would die. Not of fear, but of joy. The love of God for us in this world is too much to understand. But he shows us many signs, many ways that he draws us to himself, that ultimately he might be able to reveal the fullness of his love for us in eternal life. And the place where he does it most is here. And so again, I encourage you, I exhort you, if there's anything I can do to help facilitate it, spend time in the presence of the Lord. Stop at the chapel, stop at the church. If you need to, sit outside on the bench. <laughs> but to know that the Lord is here. He is here.